Good evening, everyone. I am Myron Will Becker, and I am back with part two of the 5,000-year leap. Um, <laughs> we've actually been doing this book study uh, with my brothers, um, and uh, one of them busted me this week because I've already finished the book, and we're on a we're not. Um, Let's just say that uh, we're not halfway through the book yet in our book study. So, <clears throat> if you remember, uh, I covered the first part and the first four principles last time. And tonight, I'm going to hit probably five principles. I'm just going to kind of judge the time and, and see how it goes. Um, so, principle five. All things were created by God, therefore upon him all mankind are equally dependent, and to him they are equally responsible. Now, this is a concept that we see in religion. Um, this is a concept that was um, believed in by the founders and was also put in practice throughout most of America. Maybe even all of it in those early days. Um, I personally love that the founders acknowledge that there's a divine creator in the universe. And one of the things that is that that Mr. Skousen wrote about said there are there are other attributes of man which human beings must necessarily share with their creator if man is made in the image of God. One would be a sense of humor. The creator must also be a great artist. On the visual plane, everything the creator organizes is in terms of beauty through color, form, and contrasts. Obviously, man can enjoy only a finite degree of capacity of his creator to appreciate the vast panorama of sensory satisfaction that we call beauty. So what he's saying is that God not only must have a sense of humor, which I have seen in my own life, and in the life of um, family. Um, and uh, let me just tell you. He does. And I agree that he also must be a an artist. Um, a creator, if you will. In the aspects of beautiful things. Uh, look at the colors in a sunset. You know, look at the... Um, the beauty and diversity in tropical fish. There, there's so much. Sorry, guys. There's so much beauty in the world. Waterfalls. Some of my favorites. Um, starry skies at night. Those are another ones. Uh, we just went camping recently. It was great to get far enough away that we could see a lot of the stars. Um, okay. <clears throat> he goes on to say that. In his commentaries on, on the laws of England, Blackstone, as in William Blackstone, the great uh, English, uh, I think he was a lawyer and a judge, and I don't remember right now, but he, he wrote um, kind of the commentaries on English law, and they were, they are, in a lot of ways, still the definitive backbone to English and American 
Um, I believe the term is common law. Uh, don't quote me on that because I'm not a lawyer. Uh, okay, so Blackstone pr propounded that the generally accepted idea that when the supreme being formed the universe, he organized it and then impressed certain principles upon the, that matter from which it can never depart and without which it would cease to be. He then went on to say that the will of God, which is expressed in the orderly arrangement of the universe, is called the law of nature, and that there are laws for human nature just as surely as they exist for the rest of the universe. He said that the laws for human nature had been revealed by God, whereas the laws of the universe, or natural law, must be learned through scientific investigation. And Blackstone said that upon these two foundations, the law of nature and the law of um, revelation, depend all human laws. And I, that connected with me because we can look at animals. We can look at nature, plants, bugs, and, and they follow a set way of doing things. You know, birds build a nest. And the, sa the same species, it's almost, you know, the nests are so similar. I was going to say almost identical. That may not be the most correct term. Um, we'll look at the way um, dogs act. We look at the way um, lions hunt. You know, we look at the way uh, sharks act in the water. So, th so there's all these, these different things in nature that are continually consistent, universal for their species. Okay? And... Um, humans, we're the same way. We're selfish, we're arrogant, we're prideful. Um, yes, I know that's a huge generalization and it's, it's unwarranted. Um, but I hope you get my point that there are natural things that we as humans do because it's human nature. And that's one of the things that William Blackstone wrote about in his commentaries on the law. Now, the last thing that I want to share out of this part is um, the, the kind of the last last part of the chapter. It says, for all of us, this will be seen from all of this. It will be seen that the founders were not indulging in any idle gesture when they adopted the motto, in God we trust. Neither was it a matter of superfluous formality when they required that all witnesses who testify in the courts or before congressional hearings must take an oath and swear or or affirm before God that they will tell the truth. As Washington pointed out in his farewell address, where is the security of where is the security for property, for reputation, for life, if the sense of religious obligation desert the oaths which were the instruments of investigation in the courts of justice? Um, in fact, it was not at all uncommon, as Alexis de Tocqueville discovered, to look with the greatest precaution upon an individual who had no religious convictions. And then he, he takes a little excerpt here out of um, Democracy in America, and uh, a judge refused to admit a testimony or evidence from a person who said he did not believe in God. That's where this country started. Isn't that amazing? Oh, it just, it's amazing to me that 
that we as a people um it's such a reverence for deity and it was just part of our culture unfortunately we've we've gone out of that all right principle number six is all men are created equal now um let me look at this real quick okay so The founders wrote in the Declaration of Independence that some truths were self-evident, and one of these is the fact that all men are created equal. This is how the this is how this principle opens. Yet everyone knows that no two human beings are exactly alike in any respect. They're different. They are different when they are born. They plainly exhibit different natural skills. They acquire different tastes. They develop along different lines. They vary in physical strength, mental capacity, emotional ability. Inherited social status in their opportunities for self-fulfillment and in scores of other ways. Then how can they be equal? Okay, ready? The answer is they can't except in three ways. They can only be treated as equals in the sight of God, in the sight of the law, and in the protection of their rights. That's what the founders meant when we are created equal. Anybody knows. Anybody knows. Michael Jordan? Come on. We can we can debate whether Kobe Bryant or or LeBron James, but in his era, who was the basketball player? It was Michael Jordan. Today, who's the football player? Who is being called the greatest of all time? It's Tom Brady. Um, so we we should should go back to this concept of equal rights. Now, um, a little part in here it says what it means to have equal rights. The goal of society is to provide equal justice, which means protecting the rights of the people equally at the bar of justice to secure the rights at the ballot box to vote for the candidate of their choice, at the public school to obtain their education, at the employment office to compete for a job, at the real estate agency to purchase or rent a home, at the pulpit to enjoy freedom of religion, at the podium to enjoy freedom of speech, at the microphone or before the TV camera, to present views on the issues of the day. At the meeting hall, to peaceably assemble. At the print shop, to enjoy freedom of the press. Or, in this day and age, the internet. Um, at the store, to buy the essentials or desirable things of life. At the bank, to save and prosper. At the tax collector's office, to pay no more than their fair share at the probate court, to pass on to their heirs the fruits of their labors. And one of the things that um, that he goes in, that, that Mr. Skousen goes in to talk about here, is um, the problem with problem of minorities. And he makes the point that, that we were once, in this country, all minorities. From the founding. Uh, the Indians were more numerous than the Europeans when they came. They cover the whole continent. Um, so, here we go. 
No ethnic group is going to be entirely comfortable or treated completely as equal in an adopted society until they have crossed the culture gap. Now, what it means is adopting the culture of the country they move to. Um, one of the things that I believe that it comes out of, of um, democracy in America is that only in America can somebody truly become an American because it's an idea it's an ideal okay it's not about the group of people that live there America was once called and I still believe is the great melting pot the place where all good all people can come and the good and virtuous people can rise to the top or maybe I should say that they should let's not get into the Let's not get into that other stuff. So, <clears throat> now, here he talks a little bit about the black minority, and he says that providing equally for the blacks has never been approached with any degree of consensus. Some felt that with education and job opportunities, the blacks could leap the culture gap just as any other minorities had done. Others felt that they should be made the beneficiaries of substantial government gratuities. Experience soon demonstrated, however, that government gratuities are as corrupting and debilitating to blacks as they are to the Indians or any other minorities. And um, this, this point to me, it's very clearly made when we look at Indian reservations in America. Um, some of the poorest places in the country. Um, understand that I haven't, I haven't seen them. I haven't been there. I have been in some inner cities and it was very shocking to me the first time. Um, my good buddy Tanner, uh, was there. We were, I was visiting him actually, um, many, many years ago. So, all right. He brings up. The, an account of an Eldridge Cleaver, okay? And this gentleman, um, got in trouble with the law in the United States and he left. And this is what he wrote. I would rather be in jail in America than free anywhere else. Then he went on to say, I was wrong and the Black Panthers were wrong. We black Americans are inside the system. And I feel that the number one objective for black America is to recognize that they have the same equal rights under the Constitution as Ford or Rockefeller, even if we have no blue chip stocks. But our membership in the United States is the supreme blue chip stock. And we the one who have the and, and the one we have to exercise. And to me, this is this is so important to understand. That anyone that comes to America and is willing to do the work can prosper, can really succeed. Um, oh, man, I just watched a documentary, I think on Netflix or Amazon Prime, about a guy called the Donut King. And he came out of Asia, and what he did was 
build donut shacks, donut stores across California. Huge, huge income, massive wealth, helped hundreds of families immigrating out of that, out of his home country. I apologize, I don't remember where it was. And created massive wealth. And he sacrificed doing it. In fact, if I remember correctly, the documentary said that most um, donut shops in California are still owned by Asian families. Um, I, I honestly I don't know the details anymore. It's been several months since I watched that documentary. But <clears throat> if you come and you adjust to the culture in America, you work hard, you can have anything. Why else do people still come here, no matter what is said in the news or politics about the American people? Because this is where freedom rings. All right. Um, last part is that the founders distinguished between equal rights and other areas where equality is impossible. They recognize that society should seek to provide equal opportunity, but expect, but not expect equal results. Provide equal freedom, but not expect equal capacity. Provide equal rights, but not equal possessions. Provide equal protection, but not equal status. Provide equal education opportunities, but not equal grades. So, just a point of clarification here. The status line here is... Is that where you find yourself in life financially? That that there should be nothing that prevents you from rising if you're willing to put in the work and, and make wise choices. All right. Principle seven: the proper role of government is to protect equal rights, not provide equal things. And um, right here in the opening, it says. For example, every person is entitled to protection of his life and property. Therefore, it is perfectly legitimate to delegate to the government the task of setting up a police force to protect the lives and property of all the people. That's why we have police. To protect the lives and property. The American founders recognize that the moment the government is authorized to start leveling the material possessions of the rich in order to in order to have an equal distribution of goods, the government therefore has the power to deprive any of the people of their equal rights to enjoy their lives, liberty, and property. And I think we're seeing that. I think today, um, I think we're clearly seeing that today in America. Um, he goes on to say that the power given to the government to take from the rich automatically canceled out the principle of guaranteed equal rights. It opens the floodgate for the government to meddle with everyone's rights, particularly property rights. I gotta say, it seems to me in my short life that there's been a lot of that. Um, the government meddling in things that the founders never intended. The American founders took a different approach. Their policy was to guarantee the equal protection of all the people's rights and thus ensure that all would have the freedom to prosper. There was to be no special penalty for getting rich. The French philosophers cried out in protest, but then some of the people will become very rich. Indeed, they will, the founders 
might have responded, the more, the better. What's the American dream? Oh, the method of getting the American dream may have changed. The American dream has always been to, to get rich, to become wealthy. Um, and I got to tell you that in studying guys like Rockefeller and Ford and, and Carnegie, they did a ton of stuff with their wealth. Um, libraries, um, all sorts of things. Carnegie's the, the, the Carnegie library thing just popped in my head here because he put a lot of money into, um, in the libraries, not just, uh, around the East coast area, but if I understand correctly, also money across uh, the parts of the United States. Um, I'd have to look it up, but there's, there's some documentation on that. The founders felt that America would become a nation dominated by a prosperous middle class with a few people becoming rich. As for the poor, the important thing was to in ensure the freedom to prosper so that no one would be locked into the poverty level the way people have been in all other parts of the world. Hey, Melissa. Thanks for joining me. Now, let me tell you. Um, I think that our welfare system in America is more of a hand pressing down than a hand up. And I say that because of the things I've learned about it, where you hit a certain income level and you get cut off. And sometimes that creates just as much hardship um, as before. And the, the example that comes to mind is the Affordable Care Act. Under President Obama, it was put into place. But when you hit $64,000, you lost of annual income. You lost all government support for health care. And then you had like a $12,000 health care bill to carry your health insurance. Well, how does that help? Now, I'm not for it, honestly. I think that things should change and that outside of this book. Sorry about that. I digress. He goes on to say that most would prosper because of hard work. The entire American concept of freedom to prosper was based on the belief that man's in instinctive will to succeed in a climate of liberty would result in the whole people prospering together. I have a friend at work. We argue this point sometimes. You look at America and because of our founding, because the protections that were put into place for people's property. After, I want to say about 1840 or so, maybe 1860, maybe a little bit after the Civil, the Civil War, um, inventions exploded out of this country. Um, so many things. Now, now, understand, I'm not saying that America exclusively created everything. I'm saying that while some things were simultaneously created around the world, that many, many inventions were created here in the United States of America. And I believe it's because people had the freedom to create and own their property. And that's kind of some of the, what uh, Mr. Skousen talks about here. He goes on to say, the hard work, frugality, thrift, and, and compassion became the key words in the American ethic. And I got to tell you, um, David McCullough wrote 
uh, a book about the Johnstown flood in Pennsylvania. It was around the turn of the 19th century. Oh wait, 1900s. I always mix that up. So, um, and that was really where the U.S. government started to get more involved in natural disasters. But let me tell you, the 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 information in that book and the charity of the American people was phenomenal. And I believe that helping people should go back to the communities and and be out of the federal hands. Another topic entirely. Now, the key to using the government to protect equal rights, not to provide equal things. And that was the key. That was one of the big things that um, the founders saw is protect the rights, allow people to to create and to build and to own. Okay. So here we go. A survey of Franklin's views on counterproductive compassion might be summed as follows. Compassion, which gives a drunkard the means to increase his drunkenness is counterproductive. Compassion, which breeds debilitating dependency and weakness in, is counterproductive. Compassion, which blunts the desire or necessity to work for a living is counterproductive. Compassion, which smothers the instinct to strive and excel is counterproductive. I'll just leave it at that. All right, so the founders did intend for the people to help each other. And one of the things that that I have learned through my service in my church and in my community is that people get more out of having a responsibility instead of just getting a straight handout. Um and it makes a difference in a person's self-esteem. And that makes a huge difference then in their life. All right. Principle eight. Men are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Um, and this ties back kind of to, um, I think that's the five. I think that's the number five, yeah. All right. So... The state of nature has a law of nature to govern it, which teaches all mankind who will but consult it, that being all equal and independent, no one ought to harm another in his life, health, liberty, or possessions. For men, being all the workmanship of one omnipotent, infinitely wise maker, all the servants of one sovereign master sent into the world by his order and about his business, they are his property. And being firm furnished with all faculties sharing all in one community of nature there cannot be supposed any such subordination among us that may authorize us to destroy one another personally love it i tell my kids all the time that that everyone is our family doesn't matter what they look like um and i believe that and I try to live that. So, what is, what, when is a right un, unalienable? Ah, all right. Those rights, then, which God and nature have established, are therefore called natural rights. 
such as our life and liberty, need not the aid of human laws to be more effectually invested in every man than they are. Neither do they receive any additional strength when declared by the municipal laws to the involuntary to be inviolable. In other words, you're not supposed to mess with these. Uh, first and Second Amendment. Oh, I don't know. Yep. A good portion of the Bill of Rights. I think the first, like, five or six cover this. Um, these rights. On the contrary, no human legislature has power to abridge or destroy them unless the owner he himself shall himself commit some act that amounts to a forfeiture. In other words, we may do something ourselves to forfeit the unalienable rights endowed by the Creator, but no one can take those rights from us without being subject to God's justice. This is what makes certain unalienable what makes certain rights unalienable. They are inherent. They inherit inherent rights given to us by the Creator. That is why they are called natural rights. So, the right to speech the right to peaceably assemble, the right to faith, the right to self-defense, as codified in the Second Amendment in the United States of America, is not about so much guns as it is about being able to defend yourself, your life, your property, your family. Um, guns in the Founders' Day, guns today, are by far one of the most effective uh, tools for that. Now, um... One of the things the founders did not do was list all of these these unalienable rights. I'm not going to read them all because there's a bunch. Um, but know that they were known in their day, and that's why the Bill of Rights only codified a few of them. We need to understand that this world was created by God and we have a responsibility to him to our fellow man to treat them with respect and to protect each other's rights all right the last thing here in this in this principle is life liberty and property do not exist because men have made laws on the contrary it was the fact that life liberty and property existed be beforehand that caused men to make laws for the protection of them in the first place. Very Bastiat. So here's the thing. Before governments were formed, when, as some believe, man roamed the earth, we had rights. We had the right to self-defense. We had the right to our own property. Um... So, uh, governments were created to help protect those rights. To help protect people from others. All right, I'm gonna do principle nine, and then it looks like I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up. Um, okay, principle nine: to protect man's rights, God has revealed certain principles of divine law, and. <clears throat> the Mr. Skousen uses a picture of Moses and the Ten Commandments to open this up. And in, in a lot of ways, a lot of good law across the world is based on some version of these Ten Commandments. Okay. 
sound principles of law, all based on God's law. An analysis of the essential elements of God's code of divine law reveals that it was designated to promote, preserve, and protect man's unalienable rights. In it, human life is to be kept sacred. Um, Ten Commandments protect property rights. Imagine that. I never thought about it that way until reading this. So, all right, next part. Let a man therefore be ever so abandoned in his prin principles or vicious in his practice, provided he keeps his wickedness to himself and does not offend against the rules of public decency. He is out of the reach of human laws. But if he makes his vices public, though they be such as seem principally to affect himself as drunkenness and the like, they then become by they then become by the bad example they set of pernicious effects of society to society and therefore it is then the business of human laws to correct them public sobriety is a relative duty relative to other people and therefore enjoyed by our law enjoined by our laws um, private sobriety is an absolute duty which Whenever it is performed or not, human tribunals can never know, and therefore they can never enforce it by any civil sanction. This ties back to the, the ancient Hebrew and Anglo-Saxon laws, where um, as long as you didn't, as long as it only harmed yourself, everyone else kind of looked the other way. When it harmed other people, then it became a problem. And that, that to me is kind of the, the dividing. Now, there are 20 examples of public and private duties here. And um, I'm not going to go through them all. But I am going to hit the top five. So, the duty to honor the supremacy of the Creator and His laws. A black, as Blackstone states, the Creator's laws in the is the supreme law of the world. The law of nature being co-evil... Co with mankind and dictated by God himself, is of course superior in obligation to any other. It is binding over all the globe, in all countries, and at all times. No human laws are of any validity in contrary to this. So basically, any form of government that restricts these rights, those leaders will be held accountable to God. I believe that myself. Um, but that was William Blackstone's point, and I believe it's valid. Two, the duty not to take the life of another except in self-defense. Three, the duty not to steal or destroy the property of another. Four, the duty to be honest in all transactions with others. Five, the duty of children to honor and obey their parents and elders. So there's a bunch in here. There's another 15 that he talks about. Um, oh, so talking about God's law as the supreme law of the land. To most Anglo-Saxons, the law was either divinely inspired or the work of their ancestors, being of such antiquity that it was unthinkable that it should be changed. Alfred the Great was one of the few rulers of the period who issued new laws, but he too regarded the body of traditional Anglo-Saxon law as sacred and God-given. 
Dr. Lavelle explains the attitude of the Anglo-Saxon race toward their divine code of law. He says they considered it immutable. Even the all-powerful tribal assembly had no legislative power, and this theory of legislative impotence endured for a long time in the development of the English constitution and disappeared only very gradually. Even many centuries later, the, the fiction that specific legislation was not making new law but reinforcing ancient custom was preserved. Most of the great steps forward in the development of the English constitution have been taken with loud assertions that nothing new was being contemplated, only the old was being restored. John Locke says that the law of nature stands as an eternal rule to all men, legislators as well as others. The rules that they make for man's actions must be conformable to the law of nature, i.e. the will of God. So, I gotta be honest with you. There's one reason I never want to be a politician. Because I got enough of my own problems to deal with. I don't want to deal with other people's or be responsible for things that I do that take away others' rights or others' rights. So, um... Man, this, this is William Blackstone. He says that man considered as a creature must necessarily be subject to the laws of his creator. This will of his maker is called the law of nature. The law of nature, being coeval with mankind and dictated by God himself, is of course superior in obligation to any other. It is binding over all the globe in all countries and at all times no human laws are of any validity in contrary to this. I just, I just want you guys to understand that the founders were, I believe, divinely inspired. Call me crazy, if you will. It's my own belief set. I own it. Um, so just understand that that they had this common belief in the law and that it was established in a certain way and it was all based on the laws of god all right that's number nine or that's number eight yeah that's number nine um next thursday we will pick up with um principle number 10 and um depending on the time we'll, we'll watch that and uh guys I just want to thank you for joining me tonight. And if you enjoyed this video, please like and share it. If you are looking for someone to help you level up your leadership skills, um, that's what I do at Turning Leaf Solutions. And uh, you can connect with us at turningleafs or me at turningleafs.com. There's a few of us, but um, I'm the principal there. Um, and I just want you to know that it is important for you to educate yourself. Um, I can't tell you guys enough how important it is to pick up a book, a non-fiction book, and read something and learn something. So, my friends, I hope you guys go out and make it a great week, and I will talk to you next time. Thanks for joining me. Please like and share this video.